Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. He's saying, what's the difference in you who believe in me and those that don't if you're stressed over the very same things they are, if you're focused on obtaining the very same things they are? But seek the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. You know, Matthew says, seek first the kingdom of God, but there's no difference. He's really saying, make this your priority. See things from the eternal perspective. today's broadcast, we have part two of Pastor Sam's message, Foolish or Wise. Taking up in Luke 12, beginning in verse 8, we will be considering what Jesus teaches us about confessing him, the parable of the rich fool, and the topic of worry. So let's listen in. You know, there are some in our day, as there have always been, who are more covert or undercover or secret agent Christians, even Nicodemus who interviewed Jesus wanted to do it by night. There's good reason for that. He wanted it to be a private interview. I'm not attributing anything negative to him, but, but he was a secret covert follower of Jesus, as was his friend Joseph of Arimathea until Jesus died. And then they just came and said, hey, we want the body. We want to take care of him. Joseph of Arimathea actually lets Jesus be buried in his own tomb. And it, it, that's a very expensive item, by the way, in those days. Now, Jesus is only going to need it for a couple days. But Joseph doesn't know that at this point. And it's important to see it. They, they, they believe, but they were unwilling to share. And, and you may be in that same position. Now, he's not threatening you if you don't tell people about him, then he won't confess you before the angels. What he's saying is don't pass up this opportunity because, because if you know, if you really believe Jesus is who he claimed to be and, and that he alone can save people from their sin, you are going to end up sharing him. And by the way, if you're like, well, ah, I got to tell you, I've denied him. I'm worried about what's going to happen to me. Peter denied Jesus. He did it three times. He, he denied that he knew him. He even swore saying, I don't know this man. I don't know what you're talking about. But Peter confessed and repented and was forgiven and restored. This same guy who denied the Lord preaches Jesus on the day of Pentecost, confesses him before the masses, and 3,000 people give their life to the Lord. So, so he's not saying if you've ever messed up in this area, you're done. No, what he's saying is, is think about it. There, there are many ways to deny the Lord. I have to tell you, there's never been a time in my life if you asked me that I wouldn't have told you that I was a Christian or that I believed in Jesus. At five years old, at 10 years old, at 20, at 25, at 40, I've always believed in Jesus. But I can tell you now that, that he was not Lord of my life till I was 27 years old. I always knew he was the Lord. He just wasn't my Lord. Why? Because I never submitted to his lordship. I just gave lip service to who he was. I really did believe in him. But I never really gave my life to him. And, and so I would confess him with my mouth, but in my lifestyle. And the way I lived, the things I did, the things I engaged in, I denied him. Hey, that's exactly what he warns us not to do. That's what the Pharisees were doing. They were saying the right thing, but they were doing the wrong thing. And so if you find yourself, well, thinking, hey, that's kind of me. Well, then you, just as I did, you can repent. You can say, I've always believed in you, but in reality, I've never surrendered my life to you. I'd encourage you to do that today. Well, he goes on in verse 10 to say, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. 
That sort of nails that, doesn't it? But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the one who comes to testify of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us of our sin. And when we blaspheme the Holy Spirit, we're, we are pushing away the only one that can bring us to Jesus. You see, he's the teacher. We're going to see that. He's the one who comforts us once we confess our sin. He's the one, Ephesians tells us, who seals us until the day of redemption. So, so he says, hey, if you've spoken against me, I'll forgive you that. But you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. You'll never be able to work that one out. And then he says, when, and when is the key word in verse 11, when they bring you into the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Listen, if you're a teacher, you need to know, you need to pray, you need to prepare, and then you need to preach the word. It's absolutely essential that you do those three things. Pray, prepare, and then preach. And by the way, I'm primarily a teacher, not a preacher. What's the difference? A preacher is someone who teaches with the view towards persuasion. And I am trying to persuade you. Now, I'm not selling Jesus or marketing Jesus, but I do believe that he is who he claimed to be. So I don't want you just to buy into the idea or believe intellectually or affirm verbally that Jesus is Lord. I want you to surrender your life. And, and that's the difference, the only difference between teaching and preaching. The only other difference, if there is one, would be that the instruction is to preach the word to make sure this is the stuff that's going out and being planted in the hearts of men well he does say um, when they bring you in don't worry about what you should answer he's talking about his disciples being arrested and brought on trial this by the way happens to them again and again literally so he's preparing them for something they'll face eventually and he's saying, I don't want you to be afraid when it happens. And I don't want you to worry, well, I don't really have anything prepared. What if they ask me to share? Oh, they will. But when you get to share, he says, you can rely on the Holy Spirit. Why? He's the teacher. He'll bring to your remembrance the things he's taught you. He'll tell you things to come so he can reveal things that you've never even learned. But yet, you do have to rely on him in those extreme examples. And the reason I share the difference is there are some who read this and, and they're like, well, I don't really need to prepare. I don't need to pray. I just kind of like, I, I just wait on the Lord and see what he wants to say. I'll tell you what he wants to say. He wants to say all this stuff. He wants us to preach the word and not just the pastors and preachers. He wants all of us to preach his word. And so he's saying, you can trust me to give you everything you need at the point of extremity. And by the way, an awesome thing happens. And he does say, um, the Holy Spirit, verse 12, will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So you don't have to worry about what you're going to answer. Those first disciples, Peter and John, arrested, and, and, and they've been ministering, and they've been preaching, and, and, and listen to the comment made about them. It's Acts 4.13. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. See, see, that's it. That's what we want people to know. Not just that we know what they don't know, but we know the one who, who made them and loves them and gave his life for them. Well, again, everything has to do with our perspective because our perspective will determine our priorities. Our priorities will 
lead our prayers. Our, our prayers will ultimately determine our plans. And so, so there's a guy who, he's in the crowd, he's listening to this whole thing. Verse 13, he says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? I love how Jesus responds to this. Jesus is on a mission and he's willing to do just about anything and everything except get caught up in some nonsense between these two brothers over their inheritance. I mean, if you came with a real need, he's going to meet it. No, he does actually meet the real need here. He goes to the heart of what's really going on with these two, as he said to them, note to both. Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. No. Most advertisers assume we really don't believe this because advertising is built on the idea that, well, we believe that if we can get that thing or get this stuff or we can acquire those goods that we'll be happier and healthier and, well, life will just be all that it could be. But the problem is he's saying, our Lord is saying, True life isn't about the, the things we possess, amassing things to ourselves. Now, I got to be honest, I have a problem in this area. I think most people do. By the way, Pam and I married 35 years. And, and so over 35 years, you're going to have some stuff, you know. We started out with very little. Most of you know I was a musician. We used to be able to move in a VW bug. Not bus, <laughs> bug. Because we just didn't have anything. And then we worked our way up to the VW bus. And then we had the moving van. And then we had the moving van and five trucks. And, and But, you know, gradually you get to where you have more and more and more stuff. And without spending too much time on it, let me just say today, we have her stuff, we have my stuff, and we have our stuff. And when we get together and we agree, we have too much stuff. I'm like, well, some of that stuff of yours really could go. And, and she's like, well, some of that stuff of yours really could go. But my problem is, I think I might need that stuff sometime. And she thinks she might need her stuff. The only stuff that we're in agreement on is our stuff. You know what our stuff is? It's like the pictures our kids drew when they were in third grade or, or the thing, they, the report card they brought home that didn't have any Ds on it. You know, you'd like frame that thing. And, and, and so some of it really matters. But here's the truth about most of our stuff. And I got to tell you, because I could, you could think, oh, he's way into stuff. I can still park in my garage, which is more than I could say for some of you. I don't know which of you, but I'm sure there's some of you that would give anything to be able to park in your garage, but it ain't going to happen. And it's because of stuff. And so here, here's what I realized. Here's what the Lord's showing me. Most of the stuff that I'm hanging on to, not only don't I need it, but I actually could give it away right now to someone who really needs it. And if I ever did need it, I actually have enough money to buy it again. And, and so it's kind of crazy that you hang on to stuff. I hang on to stuff. We hang on to stuff that, that someone else needs. We don't need it. We could reobtain it if it ever became necessary. And, and, and I think that because that, I want his word to make a difference in my life and in your life when he's saying, don't miss this. Beware of covetousness. We saw last time that covetousness can be about wanting what others have. You know, you need more. But, but covetousness is a, a two-eyed monster. It looks at what others have and, and wants it, and it looks at what I do have and, and wants to hang on and hold on and, and keep it. So he gives us a little parable to explain how foolish all this is. He spoke a parable saying, the ground of a certain rich man, verse 16, yielded plentifully. 
And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be? which you have provided. You see, this guy has a real problem. He's not consulting the Lord. He's not considering others. He's just, I have and I need and I'm going to build and I'm going to enjoy. But it was all about him and his stuff. And, and he says, what a fool. This is it for you. The night is coming. And by the way, it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. I think that means that death is an appointment. That, that the day is already determined or at least, at the very least, God knows and we don't the day of our death. But, but check this out, that, that as he shares all this, Solomon kind of thought through this. Now Solomon in the Old Testament, we're told he was the wisest man that ever lived. And he was severely distressed when he realized all this stuff that I worked for and acquired and built. And, 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 and I mean, he had this amazing kingdom, not just the wisest, but one of the wealthiest men who ever lived. And he said it really stressed him out when he realized that he didn't know if it would go to a wise man or a fool. All of that work, all that planning, all of that care, all of it, it's going to be passed on. And you don't even know for sure if the person who will have it next will be wise with it or even see the value of it. And so he just says, hey, this is it for you. What's this guy doing? He doesn't have God's perspective, so he doesn't have his priorities. And he, he's not even praying to God. He's praying to himself. He's talking to himself. Self, soul, I have so much. Man, so his plans, they're awry. He, he, he's focused on the temporal and, and he's about to lose everything that matters to him. And he says, so is he. So we can apply it. Verse 21, who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. He's not saying it's wrong to have stuff. He's just saying it's wrong to be focused or fixated on stuff. Well, in any case, this guy blinded by temporal earthly treasures, and, and that's a sign of a fool. And God, again, calls him a fool. So, again, what we believe about the afterlife, about eternity, will determine how we behave in this life, the here and now. There is something else. It's been a decade. It's hard to believe. Y2K, do you remember it? The, the, those words have any meaning now? We were freaking out. Oh, not me and not most of you, but there were a lot of people freaking out. Oh, the computers are going to crash and we're not going to be able to ship any goods. And, and so people were gathering up all this stuff in preparation for the great devastation. And it never came. We actually had family on Pam's side, but uh, the family that got into this whole thing, it's extended family, you know, related to family of family. And I was talking to her brother one day, and I'm like, what are these guys going to do? I mean, they had all the dry food, they had all the water, and they had their little compound, and they, they really, they were out in the boonies, and they were just like ready for it. And I'm like, what are they going to do if it really happens? How are they going to protect all that? And he says, oh, they got guns. And I'm like, they got guns? Let me see. I'm like, I can't find that in here. It's like, did you know that one of the, the warnings about the last days is, isn't just having stuff? Because if you have stuff in the end days, that could turn out to be an okay thing. But it's about hoarding stuff, being unwilling to share that stuff. It's already an issue. If your next door neighbor doesn't have any food and you have food, you're supposed to share your food with your neighbor. 
And so I can't really see how it works out. And these people were Christians. So I don't see how you're going to get your stuff and guard it with guns and then stand before God and say, well, well I didn't know I was going to die. I thought I was going to need all that. That's what's happening here, you see. Well, he says then in verse 22, therefore I say to you, don't worry about your life or what you'll eat or about your body, what you'll put on. Isn't that exactly what was happening a decade ago and still is happening for many today. Life is more than food, the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. That word consider is so important. It means to look at and learn from. He's saying you can just look around, look into nature, consider the ravens, and um, be aware. God's aware of them. He cares for them. He provides for them. And then he asked three questions touching on your value and your abilities or inabilities, the foolishness of worry and anxiety. He says, of how much more value are you than the birds? He's saying, God takes care of the birds. Won't he take care of you? I mean, of how much more value are you than the birds? By the way, we are of more value. Not everybody in our generation would agree. No, we're all equal, you know. Even if you believed in evolution, which makes no sense, you'd have to say we're the highest evolved species, which I don't believe at all. I believe we were created perfect and fell from grace in the garden. And so it's, it's like we were created in the image of God. That's the testimony of Scripture. You can't get any better than that. And, and because of sin, we're separated from God. And because well, of his love, he, he sacrificed himself for us that we could be reconciled to God. And so he says, just look at the ravens and see his care for them. You are of more value. How much more value are, you know, are you than the birds? And which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? This is actually a funny question if you think about it. If you're real young, you may still be growing. If you're like, you know, late teens or, or you know, 20s, you're probably done. Well, not completely done growing, but done growing in, in height. And uh, here's sort of an interesting phenomenon. If you're worried about getting taller, just stop worrying. You're going to get as tall as you're going to get. I don't think there's any way to really stretch that. But it's worse than you think. Not only are you going to stop growing at some point, at some point you're going to shrink. And it happened to me. I, I used to wear 30-34s. Well, I still do, except for they're reversed. And, and so... <laughs> Not only, not only did, did I grow the wrong direction, but I shrunk four inches in the process. That I'm really still pondering. And, but the issue is, he says, you can't make yourself one iota taller. You can't get any taller. You can't add to your stature. And by the way, he is talking about physical stature, but we use that word in other ways. And the Bible makes it clear that it's the Lord who raises one up and puts another down. So even in your stature among others, this is true. And then he says, if you're not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? In other words, if, if you can't take care of these kinds of things, why are you stressing over the rest? Consider the lilies. I think I know why he says this. He says, consider the ravens. And guys are like, yeah, ravens, they're kind of cool. And then gals are like, ooh, ravens. And they're like, but consider the lilies. Here's for you. And he says, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And then he says, yet even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If so, then God clothes the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow thrown into the oven. How much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith. Well, 
He then gives some instruction. Do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink or have an anxious mind. And it's stronger in the Greek. It's emphatic. He's really saying stop seeking after just food and drink, worrying about those things. For all these things the nations of the world seek after and your father knows you need these things. He's saying, what's the difference in you who believe in me and those that don't if you're stressed over the very same things they are, if you're focused on obtaining the very same things they are? But seek the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. You know, Matthew says, seek first the kingdom of God, but there's no difference. He's really saying, make this your priority. See things from the eternal perspective. Make the kingdom of God your priority, making sure you're in it and, and you know, functioning for the king of kings who will return to reward our, our every work. And then he says, all these things, everything necessary, everything essential will be added to you. The fool, it turns out, worries about everything, but the wise are at peace, resting in the goodness and the promises of God. Finally, he says, do not fear little flock. And I love that picture because it reminds us we're the sheep of his pastor. He's the good shepherd. The, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd protects and provides for his sheep. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourself money bags which do not grow old. A treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's just saying, hey, if your treasure's here, you'll leave it all behind. If your treasure's all there, it awaits you. And doesn't that help? When he says, don't fear what man can do, what's the worst thing can do? Kill you? Well, that just takes you to your Lord and to your treasure. Don't worry about what men think of you. Worry what, about what, what God thinks of you and, and worry about what's going to happen to them. Don't fear, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You know, Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. And, and Titus, I got to read it to you. And, and, and then I just have one other quick verse and we'll conclude with this. Titus 3.3 says this, speaking of where we were and, and, and how far we've come. We ourselves were once also foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of our God and Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. He's saying, listen, in Christ Jesus... We should be free from hypocrisy, free from the fear of man, focused on the purposes and promises of God, sharing Jesus, relying on the Holy Spirit, free from covetousness, focused on eternity, a heart for and treasures in heaven. If that doesn't describe you today, Isaiah 55, 6, a prescription, seek the Lord while he may be found, call on him while he's near. The Bible says God inhabits the praises of his people. He's here, present, enjoying the worship and, and attention that we're giving to, the worship of him and attention to his word. And so he's saying, if you don't know where you're at with him or you're sure you're not in a right relationship with him, seek him today. Call on him today. Let the wicked forsake his way, 
lest any think, okay, I'll just say, yeah, I believe in you, I receive you. No, you're, you're gonna be required to forsake your way, the unrighteous, your thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. He'll have mercy on him and our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For many, the reason that they remain covert, undercover Christians is because they have not been able to get past the fear of what confessing Christ will mean to them in their own lives, careers, and social circles. Perhaps they are even driven by a fear of persecution should they confess Christ openly. Well, regarding this fear, the verse Romans 1.16 has always comforted me. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. It is not unusual for us to be ashamed of the gospel, fearing the consequences and shame that can come from rejection or persecution due to us openly proclaiming it. But Paul is saying that he doesn't worry about that because the power of the gospel and what it does. For you and I to desire to see that power at work unto salvation to those who need it, instead of worrying about shame or persecution, is a perfect example of seeking first the kingdom of God. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.